Right, and we are taking you to the headlines and to our guests. Uh, we're going to say hello. I said earlier, the uh, the gods of guests have blessed us today, starting with Alex Wong of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. Hey, good morning, Andrew. We're also joined by Peter Churchhouse, founder of Portwood Capital. Morning, Peter. Good morning, Andrew. All right, gentlemen, uh, all eyes on Jerome Powell as he heads off to Congress. Uh, you know, what are your takes on what's what's going to happen there? What uh, What is he going to have in store for us? Well, I think uh, he probably will still maintain a hawkish stance because recent data is actually showing inflation is still um, a little bit hot. So, and I think uh, he probably would um, take a prudent stance against uh, fighting inflation. So, uh, very likely we will see uh, a more hawkish stance from him. Yep, Peter. Yeah, and th- and that's probably likely to be marginally negative short term for emerging markets uh, and particularly here in Asia. The logic thread is uh, is pretty clear. The January uh, jobs data in America was way higher than people expected. And, of course, uh, investors around the world uh, said, well, that bodes badly for higher inflation. It suggests that rates are going to stay higher for longer. The U.S. dollar is going to stay stronger for longer. And a high U.S. dollar is not good for emerging markets. And uh, we've seen a small outflow of funds uh, during February as a result of all of this uh, out of emerging markets uh, uh, over the last month. So uh, I, I think um, I, I think Alex is right. This uh, this might hawkish stance might be a, a little bit negative for emerging markets short term at least. And is, is this putting the U.S. Uh, I mean, where does this put the U.S. vis-a-vis the rest of the world? I mean, Christine Lagarde was making uh, some comments. She was, she was talking about inflation being a monster they had to hit on the head. So it sounds like she's going to be hawkish for a while. But, you know, we also hear the Koreas maybe easing off. Uh, you know, the Bank of Canada is expected to hold the line and may probably not raise interest rates when they make their announcement on Wednesday. I mean, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the U.S. against the rest of the world, where do they stack up? Well, the U.S. Uh, started the anti-inflation fight way before anybody else. So Europe was late to the party. Uh, but if we look at where we stand right now, the risks of a recession in the U.S., uh, are relatively low, I think a lot of people would suggest. But the risk of recession in Europe is probably somewhat higher. So Europe has a, is in a bit of a difficult position where it's still battling high inflation, but also facing the risk of a, a greater risk of recession than you see in other parts of the developed world. So Europe's perhaps in a slightly more difficult position than countries like Australia and Canada and the U.S., Hmm. Wait, Alex, what do you reckon? Are you are you uh, equally kind of pessimistic on on Europe? Yeah, uh, uh, on the economic funds, I agree. Yeah, but uh, for the stock market, actually, Europe Europe stock market is actually um, much better than expected because I think uh, the, they are supported by those luxury goods um, sellers uh, as China we open the economy. So we are seeing a strong inflows into that sector, and actually that carry the French market especially. So I think. Uh, uh, for the economic funds, I think that Europe actually is facing a difficult situation because um, the recession risk actually is, is higher, and also the inflation actually is, uh, is, is is also higher in that region. So uh, we are probably seeing a hawkish ECB for quite some time. 
Yeah, and also, there, if you yeah. look at European countries, they, they've got, because of their high debt levels, they've got less ability to manoeuvre in terms of injecting physical uh, or fiscal and monetary stimulus to, uh, to deal with a slowing economy. China, for example, has uh, heaps of potential uh, to fight any sort of economic slowdown. America has better potential than Europe as well. So in that sense, uh, Europe is in a slightly worse position. Is, is there any granularity in that? You know, we used to think of Europe as like a healthy north and, and kind of anemic south. But I mean, now I don't even know if we, if we include Britain when we're talking about it. And Britain hasn't looked so great compared to continental Europe. I mean, is there, do you guys have any uh, bright, some spots brighter than others? Well, you're absolutely right. The North, Northern Europe has always been seen as fiscally more responsible uh, than the wayward South. By that, we mean Greece, Italy, uh, uh, France, Spain, and sometimes perhaps even Portugal. So there's been this uh, very clear divide over over 20 or 30 years. And in fact, um, Alex and I were just having a chat about the problems of Greece just before we came mm, on the show. And, sure. and uh, you know, we look at a country like Greece and we look at Italy, we've still got 350-odd billion uh, euros of non-performing loans in the banking system. So, you know, they're, they're really struggling to deal with some of these problems. Hmm. Yeah. And Britain? Britain, I, I think Britain uh, has, has uh, created its own problems to a large extent. Uh, a lot of where we see Britain at the moment is, I think, to some extent due to Brexit. And I think their policy, uh, fiscal and monetary policies, haven't been wonderful in the last few years. So I think a lot of what they're seeing right now is self-inflicted, and uh, it's going to be a slow grind out of that. Okay. And, uh, you know, maybe looking back over to this side of the world, um, Alex, you know, we had the MPC and CPCC uh, meetings yesterday. Of course, we discussed mm -hmm. it on yesterday's show, but I think the markets have had a little bit more time to digest it, theoretically, but they don't seem to be moving strongly in either direction in reaction to what they heard over the weekend. Yeah, I think uh, people probably are a little bit disappointed about the growth target. And they are a little bit ex excited on the defense spending target. So uh, we are seeing uh, one particular sector doing well uh, in the in China Asia market, but not in Hong Kong because we do not have much defense stocks in Hong Kong. Yeah. And um, I think uh, uh, they probably are taking a, um, a conservative stance towards uh, investing in China. So we are seeing uh, money inflow into those uh, lowly valued uh, SOEs, uh, especially the telecom sectors. But they are not uh, buying uh, highly valued uh, tech sectors uh, because um, probably they think the eventual upside may be limited and the regulatory is actually still high. So uh, we are seeing a very um, conservative stance in, uh, in, in investing in China from the market right now. Yeah. Do you, do you reckon that most, I mean, as I said, the markets didn't really move all them. Do you think that 5% growth target, it was pretty much priced into the market, wasn't it? We were talking about it last week, like it was a done deal. Yeah, this is a, a realistic target because we probably may still see a very slow uh, property market in China and the manufacturing sector sector will be affected by uh, companies that we, we are relocating their, their, their base into other parts of the world. So uh, we are seeing two major forces in China being constrained. So uh, we're likely we will see uh, a slow growth. So 5% actually is, is, a, is a realistic target and I think uh, people probably already expected that. So we are not seeing too much reactions uh, from the market as a whole, but the people actually are rotating from sectors. Yeah, but I mean the uh, the you know the problems of the property markets are well documented. Um, I'm wondering, Peter, maybe are, are there other parts of the economy that you're worried about that you think might 
have some nasty surprises for us? Well, I think very nasty surprises could come out of the local government financing vehicles. Um, clearly, the local governments um, uh, are in a difficult position in many parts of China right now. They rely hugely on land sales and property uh, for for their income, which they then use to fund infrastructure, education, health care, and so on. Uh, well, with the property market in, uh, in, in big problems in China, these local government financing vehicles have been out there raising money in various forms and buying up land uh, and, and raising money to do that. And uh, th th there is a real danger that these uh, LG uh, local government financing vehicles are going to run into problems uh, servicing that debt at some point. And there's no, no clear indication that the central government will step in and bail these guys out. So that to me, could be a, a, a hot point for some kind of systemic risk going forward. As you say, we know the private sector and the SOE debt in the real estate sector has been well documented for three or four years now, but this is a new one, which uh, I think is, is really a bit of a black hole. We don't know what, how deep it is. Uh, what happens when these, when these, uh, when these LGFEs, uh, local government financing vehicles or, or municipal governments, what happens when they run out of money? Like what, what falls apart? What, what are they supposed to pay for they can't pay for in terms of services to the people or developing infrastructure? Do we, do we have an idea? Well, they have to pay, if they have, if they have to pay back these debts to the, the public who fund them. Mm -hmm. And if they can't pay the coupon and they can't pay the, uh, repay the debt itself, what's going to happen is that the people who have uh, funded them, often the, the, the public in these communities, are going to be very upset. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that can be a social problem uh, for, for both the, the local governments, the provincial governments, but also the central government. So the likelihood is that the central government will step in at some point if this does come to be a major problem and figure out some way to do some kind of backstop financing, which they did in the late 90s uh, when uh, uh, a lot of these financing, SOE financing vehicles had major problems and they set up these uh, funding banks which foreigners put some money into and those have just quietly disappeared over the years. Nobody hears about them. They've been absorbed into the central bank's uh, financing system somewhere and I expect we might see a little bit of that uh, with the, these local government financing vehicles if they show big problems, which I expect we will see going forward. Did anybody, did people get their money back when they put them into these uh, bad debt vehicles? Uh, a lot of the local people did, yeah. uh, but a lot of the institutions, uh, particularly SOEs, did not because the government said, well, these SOEs will continue to fund them anyway. Uh, it doesn't matter, but we can't have the local people uh, putting money into these things and not getting repaid. So I think a lot of the local debt to the consumer was repaid uh, over time, uh, but I think the SOEs probably absorbed quite a big hit. But nobody really knows that. That's sitting on balance sheets that you can't really see. Hmm. I, I mean, uh, you know, maybe switching back to Europe, I notice uh, blacks, you know, China's, these are not the only places where debts are being defaulted on uh, more recently. Blackstone defaulted on uh, payments for a property portfolio in Finland. And I was like a little perplexed by this. I mean, it's not like... Wow, I was shocked. To yeah, honest. I mean, Blackstone's I, got I, money. <laughs> I, I was shocked. I mean, Blackstone, uh, they defaulted on about 320 million US dollars of about a 500 plus million dollar debt. Uh, and it's in the form of uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities. Uh, they acquired these assets in 2017 in Finland. 
and and of course that was pre-COVID, and as COVID came along, uh, these commercial assets uh, have gone down in value, uh, vacancies have risen, rents have fallen, prices have fallen, interest rates have gone up. So it's a pretty negative scenario, and they look like they weren't able to refinance uh, the debt, so they've uh, they've defaulted. But uh, so this is not a great sign for European real estate, particularly secondary market real estate. We're even seeing this in London right now where prime grade A top quality real estate and top quality locations is doing okay. Occupancy are fine, rents are holding up, but secondary property, vacancies are growing rapidly, rents are falling rapidly, huge differentiation, and I think we're going to see some, uh, some fallout right across Europe in secondary commercial property. Okay, and and just to get this clear, I don't know if either you have a view on this, but I mean, um, is this a choice that Blackstone has made as a negotiating tactic? Because I mean, you know, wouldn't somebody just say, "Hey, call your dad and get the money," <laughs> call the parent company and pay the bill? I mean, do Alex or Peter, either one of you? I, I think it could well be a tactic because they did ask the um, uh, the lenders uh, to d- delay. Uh, d- delayed receipt of their, their, their funds and so on. But, uh, core lenders said, no, we want to get repaid. And, uh, and, and so I, I think there's no short, no, no question that Blackstone's not short of money. But if this is in a particular small fund, which is owned by, uh, a, you know, a, a small bunch of, um, asset holders, it's difficult for Blackstone to fund bring money in from another fund uh, to uh, pay this one out uh, and would probably do so only at a deep discount or something like that. Okay, guys, that almost takes us to the news. Alex, I want a last word from you. Uh, What else should people look out for this week very quickly? Of course, uh, the uh, jobs data from the U.S. and tonight's uh, power speech. Of course, these two are probably the focus. And I think uh, probably we would have some short-term negative news uh, coming out from the U.S. Oof, okay, we'll be on the lookout for that. Thanks for the heads up. Alex Wong of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. Uh, we also had joining us on the show today, Peter Churchhouse, who is the founder of Portwood Capital and uh, certainly knows his chops on real estate, whether it's in Hong Kong or around the world. And that is a fact.